On this edition of the Iowa Business Report, when men and women are at the table together in equal numbers, we get better return on investment. Businesses operate better when there are multiple voices around the table, and one Iowa-based group is working to help that happen. Also, a new study shows Iowa's economic output remains stable, but challenges remain. And in our profile segment, we'll tell you about an entity that has been growing with its members, literally, for a full century. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of February, 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. It's one thing to have a workforce, it's another to develop and grow future leaders of an organization. And those challenges are more pronounced for women. Yes, even in the year 2020. For more than a decade, a Cedar Rapids-based group, now called Women Lead Change, has worked to narrow the opportunity gap. Tiffany O'Donnell is CEO of Women Lead Change. We are completely focused on advancing women leaders. If I had to say in two words what we do, we are about workforce development. If you give me a couple more words, I'm going to say workforce development through a gender lens. And it turns out, Jeff, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Good leadership's good leadership. So that's why we're now Women Lead Change. Tell me why in the year 2020 there is even a need for an organization that focuses on development through a gender lens. Interestingly enough, the statistics still show us that women, in terms of leadership of our largest companies, our most powerful companies, companies in general for that matter, in leadership roles, C-suite positions, we still hover around 20%. Uh, and, and that's great. I mean, I will take 20%, but what we know and what our smart business partners know is that they perform better when they have diversity of thought at the top, when they have different voices at the top. And we happen to look at um, men and women working together and have a, a pretty strong business case to back up that when men and women are at the table together, in equal numbers, we get better return on investment. Is it always easy? Not always. Diversity at the top can be difficult. Uh, we know we can get lots of different different discussions, different debates coming from different experiences. But we believe, as does McKinsey, the great researcher that can, can prove, uh, the results are better when we have uh, women at the leadership table. Is it a conscious effort? And I would dare say, historically, there may have been a conscious glass ceiling put in place, keeping people of a certain gender down. Is it so much conscious now, or is it, and I hate to say ignorance because that sounds right. We're not like here a to charged, indict. absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like a charged word, but right. is it people who just, frankly, don't know that they're imputing some older values into a contemporary discussion? I think that's more accurate. I think that's a great way to put it. And we talk a lot about gender intelligence now. And that's just acknowledging the ways that we work differently. Um, but, you know, to your point, I, I say often, most people don't alienate others on purpose. 
I really believe that. I think, you know, the, the male leaders I know that are um, on the bus, as I say, with Women Lead Change, those who are work with us regularly and invest in us and invest in their team members to understand the value of diversity um, are smart enough to know that they don't know what they don't know. Um, for example, a uh, woman, uh, a vice president in a pretty impressive organization um, in Des Moines said to me, she was so, this was just last week, so frustrated because she's in a board meeting and there's a male CEO who's the board chair. She has two male colleagues sitting across the table from her in this meeting and the two male colleagues are arguing about something. And this really smart CEO says to them, okay, girls, break it up. Is he the devil? Absolutely not. But does the female VP sitting across the table say, wait a second, was he just sort of backhandedly, unknowingly, unconsciously implying something not so great about girls? And he was. Um, so she politely pulled him aside afterwards. And like I said, again, being a great human, he listened intently and learned something. I think everybody learned something that day. But she was able to say, hey, I know you didn't mean to say it like this, but this is how this could be interpreted. And um, it was enlightening for, for everybody. But those types of things don't happen intentionally. And I'm, I'm so glad you said And they say don't that. happen if you don't have a diversity of voices at the table. Right, right. And now I guarantee you this gentleman will approach, probably won't say that again in a meeting, or at least we'll think about it. He might even notice it when someone else says something like that. And um, being the person I know he is would not be uncomfortable saying, hey, you know what? I learned something. That's not cool. Don't say it. So it really is incumbent, I think, upon all of us when we see these types of unconscious behaviors, um, not to just blanket, you know, write people off and indict. Because I truly, and I've been here almost five years in this work, um, intentions are usually in the right place. It's execution that they're oftentimes flawed and, again, um, unknowingly. So anything we can do to shine a light on some of those conversations or um, point out the ways that men and women truly complement each other, um, that neuroscience backs up, uh, the, the innate, um, you know, skills we have, um, that can really help us and organizations perform at higher levels. So in that nearly five years, what is different about the organization other than its name? This has been a real time of growth and focus and development. It has been, and I think a lot of it has to do with the current culture in which we live. When the founders of this uh, organization came together, they merely wanted to elevate the conversation about women in leadership. Just get a few more people talking about it. I don't think they could have ever imagined leadership positions, chief diversity officer, for example. I can't imagine they would have thought that that would even exist. And that does exist, again, because it's a war for talent. And I know you hear this from, from businesses everywhere, at least not the, the number one or number two challenge. How do I get a great workforce? I don't care where they come from. I just want them. So I think the culture has, is what's really propelled uh, this organization and really strong business case for, um, again, and not just women, but diversity of thought at the leadership table. How difficult is it to have a conversation when they're focused on bottom line and because some who approach the topic have a more strident message, shall we say, than what you have been laying out here? Mm -hmm. Fair question. And, and I will be very honest and say that, for example, the hashtag MeToo movement, which um, is a part of that uh, a little more colorful conversation around women in the workplace that we've seen over the last two years, 
obviously served a great purpose and, and brought very important conversations into the vernacular that hadn't been there before. Some of those more strident messages, as you said, had the opportunity to set us back. And I, I, I feel more confident than ever two years away from the Me Too, height of the Me Too, that we've got male allies coming to us saying, you know, can we just move along now? And what do I need to know? How can I best support my workforce? Tiffany O'Donnell, CEO of Women Lead Change. You can learn more online at wlcglobal.org. And there's more of the conversation with Tiffany O'Donnell. It's one of our IBR Extra podcasts. Still to come, how Iowa rates relative to neighboring states. And you'll hear about a group that has seen a century of Iowa agricultural changes. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Each year, the Iowa Business Council prepares a nonpartisan review of the state's economic climate, Iowa's competitive dashboard, comparing Iowa with other states in five key categories. The 2020 Competitive Dashboard was released just this past Thursday. Joe Murphy is the IBC's Executive Director, and he shared some of the findings with me. I think from our 2020 Iowa's Competitive Dashboard perspective, what we've really found uh, was a lot of consistency uh, across all five indicators that we have. So we have not really changed overall when you look at all five indicators but we have seen some fluctuation here and there as you dive into each individual um, indicator. And I think that signifies the fact that Iowa is on a good pace for uh, further expansion, for further business growth, but also continues to highlight some of the challenges that we've talked about before as it relates to workforce development opportunities, upskilling our population, and then really trying to figure out how we can uh, tackle some, some big issues like, uh, like child care and uh, affordable and workforce housing. Obviously, this is a measure designed to help assess where we are, but it also helps support the actions that the Iowa Business Council would recommend. In other words, this data leads to the potential for change and decision-making. What are some actions that you hope policymakers and businesses, after they review the data, what are you hoping they might put into action to address some of these items? One of the big things uh, that we can point to immediately based on this data set is our uh, governance in the state of Iowa with our economic growth. And what I mean by that, I don't mean governance in a traditional sense, but I mean corporate governance with respect to uh, income taxes um, at both the, the business level and then, and then the individual level. I think there's a great opportunity right now before the General Assembly, the, the governor has outlined a, a really ambitious plan to provide more competitive tax rates for all of uh, Iowa's taxpayers, including businesses. And I think that's a really key opportunity for the Business Council and for um, anybody who wants to see further expansion among jobs, among opportunities, um, and frankly, among businesses throughout our state. We currently rank 50th in the nation with respect to the corporate tax rate. We have a little bit of relief coming in a couple of years, but when that's factored in, we jump from 50th to 47th in the country. And so that's not a huge jump. And so I think this data that we've released really indicates an opportunity for continued improvement. And I think uh, from, a, from a tax perspective, that's one of the things we'll continue to pursue. 
Why is that important? Explain for people who may on the surface be in favor of lower taxes generally just from a philosophical standpoint. Why is it so important when we're talking about the business rate? I think when we talk about the top line rate, it's just so important to understand how complicated Iowa's tax system is, particularly on the business side of things. So while we're philosophically um, supportive of, of reducing rates, obviously, that will allow for more business expansion, that will allow more um, jobs to be created, that will allow for more investments in, in companies across the entire spectrum of the state of Iowa. But it will also, um, it will also allow for um, some stabilization and some modernization within the tax code that frankly hasn't really existed or hasn't really been updated for, for a number of years. And that really allows the state of Iowa, the governor, the Iowa Economic Development Authority, local chambers around the state to go out and try to recruit companies into this state. If our tax base, if our tax system is simple, if it's transparent, if the rates are low, that will give us a big advantage over some of our other really high-cost neighbors um, in the Midwest, like, like Illinois or Minnesota, for example. Joe Murphy is executive director of the Iowa Business Council. You can review the 2020 Iowa's Competitive Dashboard for yourself at their website, iowabusinesscouncil.org. Up next, we'll tell you about a 100-year-old entity in a business that may have changed more over that time than any other in the state. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's profile segment, I'll introduce you to Two Rivers Cooperative, a farmer-owned group with four locations in Pella, Monroe, Otley, and Tracy. Two of those locations were independently founded a century ago in 1920. Tracy Gathman is general manager of the co-op. We're a locally owned, farmer-owned cooperative. It's owned by the farmers here in the local area. And the fact that any profits we make go back to our local community, back to local farmers uh, who do business with us. Uh, but the bigger answer is, is we're a grain marketing and supply company. And we also, uh, you know, have uh, agronomy products. Uh, we sell feed uh, products. We're also in the petroleum business and, and in the propane business as well. Agriculture has changed so much in the last two or three generations. I imagine someone who was involved at the time that two of your operations were founded 100 years ago, if they were to see things today, there'd be things that they not only don't recognize, they, they would have no idea how it related to what they used to do. I think that's very true. You know, you, and I look back at some of that old stuff, uh, you know, as, as we're going into this year, celebrating our, our 100 years of business. And, and let's face it, there, there are not very many businesses, Jeff, that, uh, you know, survive for 100 years uh, let alone are, are, are successful uh, after that period of time. You know, when, when this company started, uh, it was about mainly loading livestock on the rail. Uh, a lot of it was about uh, buying coal or, or sugar. Uh, it was stuff that, uh, you know, the, the turn of the century, and I'm talking about the 1900 century, not the 2000s, <laughs> 
the things that they needed. And, and I think, I think it goes both ways. The farmers uh, from that era would look at this company today and shake their head and go, we never saw that coming. And I think the farmers of today would look at that era and, and just barely recognize uh, the difference in agriculture. I mean, you're, you're talking about a time back when, when tractors were just getting started. There was still a lot of horse, real horsepower out on the farm yet at that point in time. In the amount of time that you have been involved, you've spent your career in this, your second generation, in fact, doing what it is that you do. What are some of the biggest changes that you personally have seen from the time you first assumed a position like you have now to today? Oh, my word. You know, and, and, and you're exactly right. I am second generation. My father started in the cooperative industry uh, back in 1957. So, uh, you know, to be honest with you, he even looks at me today when I tell him about some of the stuff we're doing, and he just shakes his head. Because even though he retired, uh, I believe, about uh, uh, 20, 21 years ago now, um, you know, the stuff we do today, he doesn't even, he doesn't even fathom. You know, you look at it, when I got in the industry clear back in uh, 1979, you know, most of the grain came to town uh, in, in either barge boxes or, or small, mainly Kilbro's gravity wagons. You don't hardly see a Kilbro's wagon around anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure whether that company still exists or if they've been bought out. Uh, but most of it came to town in, in two, 300 bushel wagons. Uh, most of it pulled by, by small tractors, you know, at that time, you know, almost every, almost every farm out there had livestock on it. It was, uh, you know, they, they, they raised a few hogs, they raised some cattle, uh, some of them had dairies, you know, and it, it just has transformed so much to today where, uh, you know, back then an average scale picket for grain coming in, for instance, in the fall was probably 300 bushel, you know. Uh, today, it's not uncommon for us to have an average scale ticket uh, each fall of, of seven to 800 bushel because uh, most of the stuff coming to town today is on semis rather than on small wagons. The other side of that is, is, is that, uh, you know, the livestock industry has been completely transformed uh, and, and, and transformed in a way that it is so much, uh, so much more efficient uh, than what it was then. And, 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 uh, I think that gets lost in the shuffle uh, when we talk about uh, large operations. Uh, they're just so much more efficient than what they were then. Uh, the, 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 the care for the livestock, uh, they're all in controlled environments today uh, rather than, you know, and, and this winter has been pretty mild, but it doesn't take a, a lot to think back to a year ago when it was 20, 30, 40 below. You know, most of that livestock at that period of time would have been outside. And, and today it's in confined uh, uh, spaces where, uh, you know, it's 65 to 70 degrees uh, year round in there type of deal. So it's just it's just amazing how much has changed. You know, a big tractor back then uh, probably was 120 to 140 horsepower. And and out here today, we're talking about four wheel drives, uh, you know, upwards of six, uh, five, six, seven hundred horsepower piece. And, you know, a big piece of equipment might have covered uh, 20. 24 feet at a time, and, and today it's 60 to 90 feet at a time. Back in the era when I got in, uh, you barely heard of a producer that had a 12-row planter. And, and today we're out here with uh, 24 and 36-row planters. So 
it, it's just so remarkable what the changes have been, you know, up and down the line in everything we do. Your customers, your members, have a variety of options of where they can get the materials that they need, where they can get the insight that they need. What is unique about a cooperative that is of greater benefit to the people in your area? We've talked about around our area and with our, with our employee staff and with our customers, you know, we have one job to do. And, and really our one job is to help our producers uh, be more profitable, okay? Uh, that's, that's what we were founded for. That's why we're here. We have their best interest at heart at all times. It's not that we're trying to make sure that we have a, a specific return for our stockholders or, or for our owners. Uh, our owners are our farmers. So, you know, when, when we sit down and talk to somebody in the cooperative world, in my mind, it is absolutely imperative that we always remember, uh, first of all, that, that they truly are the boss and they truly are the owner. And what we really, really need to do is keep that in mind and give them absolutely the best information and, and uh, options uh, that we can possibly can to help them be more successful. Because if, if we help them be more successful, in the long run, we're going to be successful. Tracy Gathman, General Manager of Two Rivers Cooperative, with locations in Pella, Otley, Monroe, and Tracy, with origins dating back to 1920. More information about the co-op is online at tworivers.coop. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, we'll hear about professional development that spans the full spectrum of age and experience. That and more next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We also have podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. You'll find those as IBR Extras. And you'll find the Iowa Business Report on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, sponsors of the Taking Care of Business Conference in Cedar Rapids in June. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.